Reigning Hope can do for the people in that community. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Well, uh, it is Father's Day, as you know, and uh, I want to preach this morning from a very, very well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, It is probably the most famous of Jesus' parables, and he told a lot of parables, these little stories that teach us truths, and uh, it's known as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, Jesus did not call it the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, he never even mentioned the word prodigal anywhere in the story. If Jesus had given it a title, though, I'm guessing that he probably would have not called it the prodigal son. After all, it's not a story about a son. There are two sons in this story. Um, One of the sons is wild and crazy and rebellious and adventurous He's that type that's always rushing out, always trying to get into trouble. Now, if you are a parent who has multiple kids, just picture which one of your kids is this kid, right? This is the kid who, and when they're four and you go to the mall, you put a leash on them. That's that kid, right? And that's the younger son in the story. Um, But we all think that the story is about him, but it really is not about him. The other son is the responsible, rule-following type, and it could be argued that, you know, he's a straight-A student, he's, he's the one that gets all the pats on the back, he's the one that, uh, that they hold up and say, look at my wonderful son. Um, but really, it could be argued when you read the story that he gets into even more trouble than his rebellious brother does. He's an afterthought in this story for most of us, and that's okay because the story is also not about him. There's actually a third character in this story, and that's the father, and the story is about him. It's a Father's Day story, and you don't have to take my word for it. We're going to read it. It's in Luke chapter 15, so if you've got Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15, If you don't have Bibles, you've probably got it on your phone or your iPad or something or look on with somebody near you. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book, big book, easy to find. Go to chapter 15 and we're going to pick it up in verse 11. I'm just going to read you the whole story straight through and then we'll begin to talk about it. Verse 11, Luke chapter 15. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out as one of the, to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will go And get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up 
And he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. I think if Jesus was going to give a title to this story, he would not call it the story of the prodigal son. I think he would likely call it the story of the prodigal father. You know what the word prodigal means? It's one of those words that all of us have heard and it's sort of in our vocabulary. And even if you didn't grow up in church or reading the Bible, you've heard of a prodigal son. It's become sort of a catchphrase in our society. And when we hear the word prodigal, um, we assume that we know what it means. I always assumed that I knew what it meant until I started studying scripture. I, I just always thought it was one of those old King James words that nobody uses anymore. And, but we all know what it means. It means rebellious. It means sinful. It means selfish. It means all of those kind of things rolled into one. But that is not what it means at all. It's fascinating. It actually means, the word prodigal actually refers to someone who spins or gives extravagantly, even recklessly. It's kind of funny. This is Nick's uh, first week as our new worship leader. Did you guys enjoy the worship this morning? I'm heading off on a tangent. Stay with me. Um, you know, I, I, I thought, did you enjoy the worship this morning? And then I thought, you know, it's a way more important question. Did God enjoy the worship this morning? Our worship is a gift to God. And I'm so thankful for this worship team that just leads us into a place where we can give that gift as a church family together to God. But I'm not here to talk about worship this morning. So um, this is Nick's first week with us. And I did something that I almost never do to worship leaders. And I did it to him on his first week. Middle of the week, I called him. And I'm like, hey, I know you've already got all these songs picked out. And you have a whole plan for how this is going to go. And the whole team's been practicing. But I want you to scrap one of those songs and add the song Reckless Love. Because that song, Reckless Love, that we sang at the end, it is a popular song in churches all around the world. People are singing it. Um, And then there are those churches 
who will not sing that song. And the reason they won't sing that song is because to some people it seems um, rather disrespectful to refer to God as being reckless. Because in our minds, the word reckless is a, has a negative connotation, right? When someone behaves recklessly, when someone is a reckless driver, something like that. And in that sense, I can see the point of those who are uncomfortable with that lyric. But if we think of the way that God offers his love to us at such an extravagant cost, if we think of the way that Jesus left the safety and comfort and ease of the throne room of heaven to condescend to becoming human so that he could be disrespected, dismissed, beaten, tortured, and killed, if we consider the enormous cost of our salvation and the way he purchased our pardon on a bloody cross, I think the word reckless is a pretty good description of the love of God. It's very extreme. He is our prodigal father. His love is extravagant, you guys. It comes at such a ridiculously high cost that it's almost impossible to fathom why anyone would pay such a cost. I mean, if, if you were in the market for a house, let's say, and, uh, and you, 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 were, you were in the price range of around um, $300,000, first of all, move to another country. That's not going to happen here. But if you're, if you're, let's say you got 300000 for a house, and the real estate agent is looking and looking, and you get this call. The real estate agent says, hey, I found a place for you. I think it's going to be perfect. It's in the hills of Malibu. It's a 15,000-square-foot mansion with two guest house and stables overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, and you go, why would we even go and look at a house like that? I cannot, that's a $15 million house. I cannot afford a house like that. And the real estate agent says, yeah, but I have a connection. I can get it for you for 300 grand. That would be an incredible deal, right? That would be an incredible deal. But let's reverse it. Let's say that you find a house in some run-down, gang-infested, crime-ridden neighborhood, and the windows are broken, and the roof leaks, and the place is falling apart, and it's being offered, and you go and pay $15 million for it. (laughs) Welcome to California. (laughs) That is prodigal spending. That's what the word prodigal means. To take something that doesn't have nearly that much worth and to pay way more than it's worth. To give way more than something is worth. To extend yourself beyond what is reasonable. It's, 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 it looks wasteful. It looks reckless. It's prodigal. And one thing that the cross reveals to us about God's character is that our God is a prodigal father. Now let's go back to the verse that led up to Jesus telling really three stories, not just this story. He told three stories back to back. It's right at the beginning of chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, look at verses one and two. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And then that launches us into three straight 
parables. There are three stories in a row. The first one is the story of the lost sheep, which was referred to during our worship this morning. The, the, the good shepherd has a hundred sheep and he recognizes that one of them has aimlessly wandered off. And when he counts the sheep, he realizes that one is missing. And so he leaves the 99 who are safe and goes and gets the one that is not safe. And he, he makes this crazy decision to leave the 99 and go after the one. It's what we sang about in the song this morning. The second story is the story of the lost coin. And it's about this widow who has a coin that is precious to her. Now, I'm so tempted to tell you this whole story because you, you need to understand it, but I don't have enough time, so let me just tell you this. That, that a widow would have a dowry necklace that was made up of coins and that would be given at the time that she gets married and that would be what she has left when her husband is no longer there to provide for her. And so she loses one of these precious coins. And what does she do? She turns the whole house upside down looking for it. And when she finds it, she throws a huge party that probably cost her more than the cost of the coin in order to have everyone come and rejoice and celebrate with her. So that's two stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin. And then he tells us this story about a lost son who returns home expecting to be punished and instead, he finds love and forgiveness from a father who lavishes him with gifts way beyond what anyone could imagine he would deserve. The first story is not about the sheep. It's about the shepherd. Second story is not about the coin. It's about the widow. And the third story is not about the rebellious son, it's about the loving father who welcomes him home with open arms. In each of the stories, there are three things in common. First of all, something precious has been lost. Secondly, the thing that gets lost is finally found. And finally, there's a huge celebration to rejoice in the finding of that thing which has been lost. Why did Jesus hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? Because they were lost. And he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus has an incredible heart for that which is lost. Where other people would just shrug their shoulders and move on and go, well, some things get lost. He gives up everything, the throne of heaven to come and pay the price to set us free because we are lost. Why did he hang out with these people? It's not because he was trying to seem culturally relevant. It was because he desperately cared for these people. They're the reason that he came. You might even say that his love for the lost is so strong that it's reckless. There's a lot of ways we can get lost. Some of these are illustrated in these stories. The lost sheep, he just got distracted. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> you laugh. The Bible calls us sheep over and over again, so deal with it. Sheep are dumb. And, and you know what motivates a sheep? Anything green that is growing in the ground. 
In fact, people who have large flocks of sheep rent them out as lawnmowers for their neighbors because they just eat and eat and eat. And when you're a sheep, you put your head down and there's green grass in front of you and you eat until you see more green grass and you eat and you see more green grass and you eat and you see more green grass and you eat and pretty soon you're gone. This sheep is just distracted, but it's still lost. And the story of the coin, the coin is lost because someone was careless with it. Because, because someone didn't take care of it. Because someone didn't watch out for its well-being. It was lost, not any fault of its own, but because someone who should have taken better care of it didn't. And, and, and I don't know if you can relate to that, where the scars in your life, some of them have come from the fact that someone who should have cared for you better didn't. Abusive situations, those who make promises that they don't keep and take advantage and all of those kinds of things, uh, we can easily get lost because what happens is the pain of that leads to scar tissue and our heart begins to get hard. And we begin to blame God for the things that have happened and we just start to wander away from him and we go, well, you know what? If God's not even gonna make sure that I'm okay and that no one hurts me, then why should I follow him? And we get uh, lost because of what has happened to us. Some of us can relate to that. The story of the lost son, uh, both sons are lost. The younger one is lost because of his own rebellion because of his lack of wisdom, because of his lack of self-control. He's lost because of the decisions that he made to, to follow after the things that he should not have been following after. His lostness is his own fault. And the older brother is lost in his own self-righteousness. He's so proud of how good he is. He's so impressed with how he's followed the rules he is the example that Jesus is giving to these scribes and Pharisees who follow all the rules to the nth degree and yet their heart is far from God. They're trusting in their own self-righteousness. I'm good enough. And you know what, guys? I talk to people about their need for Jesus and this is the most common answer I get from those who are not open to Christ. You know what? I'm a pretty good person. I'm gonna take my chances. Wow. That self-righteousness can actually be the most dangerous of all these types of lostness because we don't know we're lost. We don't think we need to be found. I think at times I have been all four of these kinds of lost. I'm like the sheep. I've certainly had those times when I was so distracted by the things of this world that I've aimlessly wandered away from God. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. I'm also like the coin that some of my lostness has been pain that has built up because of how I've been treated or mistreated by others. 
And, and every one of us has been a victim at one level or another, and we have a choice about whether we are going to label ourselves a victim and therefore live uh, below the life that God has planned for us, or whether we're going to understand that God is a great healer and a restorer and can bring us back. But the truth of the matter is, all of us have some victimization. All of us have dealt with some abuse on one level or another. All of us have been let down by somebody, and sometimes we let that pain drive us away from God who's the only one who can actually do anything about it. And we're lost. But if I'm honest, I'm gonna also admit to you that um, I'm a lot like the younger brother and have been at times in my life. Most of the lostness in my life has come down to my own rebellion, my own selfish pride, and my own desire to be my own boss. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I go and do it. Maybe you can relate to that. There have been seasons in my life that were marked by chasing after the things that I thought would satisfy me, only to wake up with the pigs and go, what in the world just happened? And I'm also like the older brother. I have been like those Pharisees. So proud when I thought was my own self-righteousness that all I could see was the speck in the eyes of others and not the log in my own eye. Did you notice that out of these three stories that Jesus told, the older brother was the only one who didn't get to celebrate. He's the only one who missed the celebration. Self-righteousness might be the biggest hurdle of them all. But as I told you, the sermon is not about sheep. It's about a shepherd who recklessly leaves the 99 in order to go after the one. It's not about coins. It's about the person who recklessly turns the house upside down to retrieve a coin that is so valuable that they realize it can never be replaced by another. And the sermon is not about a rebellious younger brother or a self-righteous older brother. It's about a heavenly father who loves us so much that he looks for us and sees us when we're yet on the horizon and doesn't wait for us to get there but runs to us. That's our father. There's a popular Christian song out these days that I like and hear on the radio and I'm listening to it and it's about running like the prodigal. And I read the story and I go, you know what? He never ran. The only one who ran is the father. That's why I think it should be called the story of the prodigal father. He, he, this father who in this culture, the head of a household would never be seen running. It was shameful. It was too low for him. It would not be the kind of thing that garners respect. And he is standing on a hillside somewhere looking and searching. You know what it says in 2 Chronicles? It says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Our God is a God who searches for us. Our God is a God who watches the horizon, just waiting to see us break the horizon, and then who doesn't stand there with his arms crossed, looking stern, waiting for us to get to him on our knees, but instead runs to us, scoops us up, puts the robe on us, puts the ring on our finger, kills the fatted calf, and throws a party because heaven rejoices more over one lost person who returns than over 50 righteous people who had no need to return. 
That's why I chose this passage for Father's Day. A good earthly father should remind us of our heavenly father. Good earthly father, like the video said, that's all these roles, right? A good earthly father is a provider and a protector and a teacher and a disciplinarian and a driving lesson guy (laughs) and so much more. But he is also a source of grace and hope and love and understanding and compassion and forgiveness. Those of us who are fathers are called to be all of that to our children. Our Father in heaven is our model and we become more like him only through our personal relationship with him. You don't become like him just by hearing about him. You don't become like him just because you agree with some of his teachings. You become like him when you press in close to him and, and, and godliness is more caught than it is taught. We just went through this pandemic, right? And the whole deal was five feet apart, six feet apart, 25 feet apart. Yeah, get in a plastic bubble and don't go near anyone, right? Keep your distance. Why? Because you don't want to catch what they might have. The closer you get to God, the more you catch what he has. That's how it works. Our God is like that. And he calls us to draw close to him. So I just, I want to take a second Speak to you dads out there. Maybe your kids are this tall. Maybe your kids are this tall. I don't know the story or where you're at, but I want to tell you I'm a dad and I know the burden and the weight of being a father and knowing that you're not good enough for those kids. I know what that is. And I want to say to those of you who are dads, listen, the way you become more like your heavenly father is to press into your heavenly father. The more you spend time with him, the more you talk to him, the more you listen to him, the more you worship him, the more you serve him, the more you become like him, and your kids need you to become like him. And I don't care if your kids are 50 years old, they still need you to become like him. As a father, um, I've often felt just overwhelmed, unprepared, in over my head, not strong enough, not mature enough, not wise enough to be able to fulfill this awesome task of fatherhood. Dads, do you remember your firstborn and when they handed that child to you and you went, oh, that's a bad idea. (laughs) I, I had never fed a baby, burped a baby, changed a diaper. I had never done any of that. And they just handed me this kid like I could handle it. I'm like, ah! It's like, a, it's like a horror movie. Dear God, she's beautiful. Take her away. And, and there's this feeling, every dad I've ever talked to has told me, yeah, there's this feeling that you have that is this combination of overwhelming love and abject terror because you know in that moment I'm not good enough for her. I'm not good enough for him. I don't think I can handle this. I know some of you dads have felt that way. Maybe you feel like that even today. Where do we get the resources that it takes 
to be the father our children need us to be. Only by drawing near to God. The scripture says, draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. That's how it works. Dads, there is no resource you need more than a closer walk with Jesus. As you pursue that, God will honor that and your kids will benefit. So press into him and watch what he does because listen, he won't do anything great through you until you've allowed him to do something great in you. That's how it works. But even at that, none of us is a perfect father. And none of us has a perfect father. We need more than what even the best of earthly fathers can offer. We need a prodigal father. A father who's willing to be reckless, willing to be extravagant and has the resources to do it. A father who allows us to exercise our free will even when our choices get us into trouble, but who never gives up on us, never wanders away from us, who scans the horizon looking for us, waiting for the day when we will come running to him and he doesn't wait for us to run, he runs to us. And when we get there, he throws a party and celebrates and invites everybody. The father in Jesus' story had every reason to write off his son. I don't have time to dig deeply into this, this parable, but let me just say that there could be nothing more hateful and disrespectful and offensive than what this younger son did when he went to his father and said, I want my inheritance now. That's the same as saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want your money. Give it to me and I'm out of here. That's what happened in the story. He had every reason to write that boy off. We would all have understood it if he held bitterness in his heart after what his son had done to him. We would certainly expect at best that he would put his son through the ringer to teach him a lesson and make him grovel a little bit, maybe make him work his way back up into your good graces before offering or even considering any forgiveness. He didn't do any of those things. In fact, he was apparently standing outside with the best view he could get, watching the horizon for when his son would return. And when he saw his son, he didn't wait for the young man to run to him, begging for mercy. He ran to his son and gave it freely. He covered him in the best robes. He gave him the family signet ring, which restored his place as a son in the family. He killed the fatted calf and threw a party to celebrate his return. He didn't treat him like a hired hand, which was all the kid was hoping for. He restored him to his full position of honor as a son. Remember, the story is not about the son. The story is about a father and his incredible, reckless, prodigal love for us. The father in this story is our heavenly father. Of course he knows about our sin and rebellion. Of course he has every right to hold a grudge and to punish us. But he also has a love for us that is deep and powerful and everlasting and reckless and in every sense prodigal. He didn't just welcome us back. He, prayed, he paid the price to get us back. So let's get personal. Just for your own thoughts. 
Where, where do you find yourself in this story? Have you wandered off? You see yourself at a distance from God, shrugging your shoulders and going, I'm not really sure what happened. Have you been hurt? Been disappointed? Held God accountable because it feels like he let you down? Have you rebelled against your heavenly father and insisted on your own way? If so, you're in good company. And that's why Jesus came to die for you and for me. That's what he did. Our father in heaven is not planning your demise He's standing on the hill, watching, waiting. Scripture tells us the answer to the question, why? Why does God wait so long? The world is such a mess. Why, why does God allow all of this pain and all this death and all this sin and corrupt people to rule and all of these things? Where is God in all this? Why does he allow it? The scripture tells us he's not slow in keeping his promises as some count slowness to be, but he is patient not wishing for anyone to perish. I mean, if we saw the, the, the made-for-TV miniseries of this story, I bet you there'd be three episodes in the miniseries where the father's just out there on the hill watching. And his friends are coming out to him and they're saying, hey, come on, man, you're, you're not getting anything done. Why are you letting this kid rule your life? He rejected you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. Father says, hey, hey I'm trying to watch and he watches and he watches and he watches until that young man breaks the horizon. And then he sprints to him. He's not waiting to punish you. He's waiting for you to come home. And no matter how far you may have strayed, all you have to do is turn around and he makes up the distance. Isn't it time to leave the pig pen and get back to our Father. Amen. This year on Father's Day, whether you're a father or not, whether you're able to celebrate with your father or not, whether you have a great relationship with your father or some harsh memories, I want to point you to the Father of us all. He loves you. He cares for you. And He can make you who you cannot make yourself to be. He's waiting. So it might just be a certain area of your life where you need to go, listen, Lord, I, I've, I've been, you know, I love you and I've been worshiping you, but I've held this one area to myself and I've been in charge of this area of my life and I've insisted on ruling it and I haven't given it up to you. And maybe this Father's Day is a day for you to just go, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you with even this area of my life. Maybe you're hearing this today and, you, and you're like, I, I've never even known the Heavenly Father. I've just been doing my own thing my whole life. And maybe this is God's moment of calling you, saying, come home, come home. What you're experiencing is not what I made you for. I have so much more for you. I have a robe and a ring and a fatted calf. Come home. Let's celebrate together. Wherever you are, I just want to encourage you. It might be time to get closer to the Father. Let him wrap his arms around you and give you what you cannot give 
to yourself. Let's stand together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we bow our heads before you now, for you are truly the prodigal father, extravagant in your love for us, so overwhelming with your grace, willing to pay incredible price to redeem us, to pay the price for our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't just written us off. You haven't just forgotten about us. You haven't ignored our absence. Thank you, Lord, for the way you are tenacious in pursuing us, willing to leave the 99 and go search for the one. We're incredibly blessed to have access to you, Father. I pray that we would give you full access to us. Put your arms around us, Lord. Draw us near to you. Transform our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go and celebrate Father's Day.